From TLDR News, this is your daily briefing for Tuesday the 6th of December 2022. Good afternoon. In today's Spotlight story, we run through how alleged Russian war crimes could be held to account. There are more things happening around the world right now though, so we'll run through three of today's other important stories, and in our exclusive Nebula section, we discuss the UK train strikes whilst on a train. Unfortunately, that discussion was recorded on a train, but Ben and Jack were on their way to catch a flight, so were unable to upload it in time, but hopefully we'll use it later on this week in the daily briefing. But first, how could the Russian state be held to account? We've seen throughout the war in Ukraine accusations of war crimes being committed on the Russian side. Some of these have reportedly taken place in the capital city of Kiev and other surrounding towns. Some have seemingly taken place in Kharkiv and Kherson. But one of the most widely reported areas for war crimes so far in the war is Butcher. The scale of the alleged war crimes was such that Russia's actions there have since been referred to as the Butcher Massacre. So when you consider the sheer scale of war crimes committed, it's understandable that the people of Ukraine are wanting to see the crimes committed against them prosecuted. There has, though, been debate over exactly how these war crimes could be prosecuted. The EU has suggested that there could be a UN-backed special tribunal to prosecute crimes in Ukraine. There has, however, been some pushback on this plan. The Chief Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, or ICC, on Monday claimed that his court was capable of effectively dealing with war crimes, and as such, there would be no need for such a tribunal. The ICC, based in The Hague, has the power to investigate war crimes in Ukraine, but it does not have the power to prosecute the crime of aggression, as Russia never signed the Rome Statute, which created the ICC itself. The court could, though, prosecute high-ranking figures for war crimes and genocide. The only real exception to this is that heads of state are usually immune to prosecution while they're in office. What this means in this case is that Russian President Vladimir Putin would be, in essence, immune from any punishment from the ICC. This is something that European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen spoke about when advocating for getting approval for the tribunal from the UN. She said that this was essential to avoid such issues of immunity and said that she would work with international partners to get the broadest international support possible. International teams have been in Ukraine collecting evidence, but irrespective of how the international community decides to try and prosecute alleged Russian war crimes, it's unlikely that this will happen in the near future. Considering that it's not even yet been decided how such prosecutions will happen, it's clear that there's a lot of work ahead before any alleged perpetrators see the inside of a courtroom. Additionally, even if a UN-backed special tribunal is agreed upon, it's unlikely that Russian President Vladimir Putin will actually be prosecuted. Okay, so that's the biggest story of the day, but there's a lot more going on around the world. So here's a rundown of three other stories. Over the last few days, anti-abortion protests and demonstrations have been held in Malta as the country's parliament debates government legislation that would loosen the total ban on abortion. The protests brought together Malta's top Catholic bishop, the leader of the Conservative opposition and a former centre-left president. The Catholic country has uniquely strict abortion laws and is the only EU member state to totally ban abortion, with no exception even for rape or if the woman's life is in danger. 
Malta's Labour government has introduced an amendment that would allow for abortion when the woman's life is at risk or health is in serious jeopardy. The move came after a pregnant American tourist suffered an incomplete miscarriage while in Malta and had to be airlifted to Spain when Maltese doctors were unable to perform a life-saving termination. Some opponents of the legislation simply oppose any loosening of the law, while others say they support allowing abortion when the woman's life is at risk, but not when her health is at risk. The government has rejected claims from its critics that it's trying to pave the way for the full liberalisation of abortion laws. Despite the protests and the fact that polling shows anti-abortion sentiment being the majority view, the government's legislation appears set to pass as it holds a comfortable majority and no dissent has emerged from within the party. There's more on the way, but be sure to subscribe and ring the bell to make the daily briefing part of your daily routine. Or just search for us on your podcast app to listen along. Indonesia's parliament has approved a sweeping new criminal code, including a controversial ban on sex outside marriage, with a punishment of up to one year in jail and other charges that critics say will erode people's hard-won rights. The new code, which will apply to Indonesians as well as foreign residents and tourists, also prohibits cohabitation of unmarried couples, expands blasphemy laws, provides punishment for insulting the president, and more. Rights groups have called it a disaster for human rights. It was passed with supports from all political parties, but faced criticism from Indonesia's tourist industry board, whose deputy chief said the new code was harmful and totally counterproductive, as the tourism industry is beginning to recover from the pandemic. Indonesia's justice ministry defended the code, which will not come into effect for another three years, by saying it aims to protect the institution of marriage and Indonesian values, adding that the laws relating to morality are limited by who can report them, such as a spouse, parent or child of a suspected offender. More than a year ago, after a military coup scuppered Sudan's transition to democratic rule, the country's military authorities have signed a preliminary agreement with the main pro-democracy group, called the Forces of Freedom and Change, outlining in broad terms how the country can resume its transition to civilian-led democracy. Sudan has been in a political standoff since last year's military coup. International trade has dried up, the economic situation has worsened, and regular pro-democracy marches have been violently suppressed by the security forces. The deal aims to establish a two-year transitional civilian authority. It also limits the military's role in politics and investment and places the military as part of a security and defence council led by the Prime Minister. However, excitement over the agreement has been tempered by the fact that a number of other key players in the country have rejected the deal, which sets no deadline for the transition to begin and also leaves a number of the more difficult issues, like transitional justice, for a later date. Protests broke out in the capital Khartoum over the signing of the deal. The pro-democracy resistance committee called for demonstrations, saying any deal must include transitional justice and security sector reform in it from the start. In the final uplifting story today, we see that spoonbills have rebounded in the UK following improvements made by farmers to tree cover and wetlands. The spoonbill was once common among England and Wales, but were hunted for their feathers and meat. For a small period, they were extinct in the UK. A small colony of them were found in France, though, in 2010, and they soon made their way back to the UK. This year, a record of 77 young from 43 pairs of spoonbills were recorded. It appears that they're facing a small boom in their population. 
That's all we have time for on YouTube today, but if you want to see our discussion on a train about the upcoming UK train strikes. As we said earlier, there won't be a discussion segment today, but hopefully the discussion that Ben and Jack recorded on a train will be used later this week in an episode of The Daily Briefing. Then watch the extended ad-free edition of The Daily Briefing over on Nebula. Nebula subscribers not only get everything you've already watched ad-free, but also an extended edition of the show every single day, available to watch on Nebula or stream on your podcast app of choice. So if you want to support the channel and get a more extensive daily briefing every day, you'll want to sign up. And there's good news. Our friends at CuriosityStream, the streaming service which offers some of the best documentaries, is offering a deal whereby you can get both platforms, CuriosityStream and Nebula, for less than $15 a year. That's all the best documentaries you could want on CuriosityStream and then more TLDR on Nebula, including the extended briefing, other full exclusive TLDR videos, and it's always ad-free. Click the link below to get both services for less than $15 a year and support the channel.